Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I'm going to take a moment before we hop into the, the message, the new series, all of those things. Um, we had a, an event nearish in our community this last week um, that's a difficult one. And I, I don't like to, to spend too much time on current events and things that happen in the world in worship. We, we stay to scripture and the promises that God has here. But there are those moments in time when it's appropriate to address because it, it hits each and every one of us in some way, shape, or form. And I don't have a prepared statement for you, but that's not because I'm lazy. It's because there's not much that I can say for you. And that, I know, is frustrating. You, you look to, to spiritual leaders in times like this for, for guidance, for wisdom, for all sorts of things, but I'm going to be honest with you that if you're looking for the answer to the question, why, I mean, I have answers, but they're not very satisfying. I say that a lot, I feel like. I have answers, but they're not going to satisfy. And, and the reason that they don't satisfy is because when we're looking for an answer to those questions, why do these things happen? Why do people do these, these horrific things? Why does evil exist in the world? We're looking for something that will provide resolution for us, make it make sense, put things in a place where we can understand it. And that's the opposite of what sin and evil does. So there isn't a way to do that. I mean, sin at its core disorganizes, causes chaos. Um, sin is, I've often described, like a terrorist. The point is, bad things happen to good people. The point is, it, it's senseless. That's why it causes us fear. It's, it's why it's effective. It's why it shakes people to the core. So I don't have the answers to questions, um, guidance in terms of how, you know, what do we do, how do we prevent. Those things aren't, aren't what I can give to you. But what I do give is hope. But it's not hope in this world. It's hope in the world to come. And I say at times like this, that's the reason why Jesus came, is, is not to prevent these things or resolve these things, but to show us how broken this world is and how his plan of salvation isn't to reform this world. His plan of salvation isn't to make this an appreciably better place. His plan of salvation is to rescue us from this place. His plan of salvation is a new place, a new heavens and a new earth. It's why we spend so much time here talking about the resurrection, the new heavens, and the new earth. Because that's really where our hope lies. And it doesn't mean we need to be fatalist. It doesn't mean that we give up on this world or don't take action or don't do things. But it, it reorients how we think about the, the whole idea of God interacting in our time, in our history, in our space to do something for us. So what we do as Christians in times like this is we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. We don't provide 
answers that aren't really answers or hope that isn't really hope or promises that we can't actually keep. We, we don't do those things with those people who are hurting, but rather we embrace and we say, I know. I know this world is just that broken, that sinful, that ugly, and that awful. I know. That's how bad this world is. And we say, but there is a world to come. And if you can, if you can hold to that hope, if you can embrace the promise of God who never, ever goes back on or fails to fulfill his promises, if you can hold to that promise of God that he will be with you through this broken world until that resurrection, then in this world, while you are here, you can have hope and you can have joy no matter how much this world wants to rob it, from you, to take from you your peace and your joy, no matter how much evil and sin wants to corrupt your heart and your mind and, and, and just be the terrorist that it is, you know that there's something greater and deeper. So for anybody here um, who have people who are affected close to it, uh, anybody online who's watching who have been affected or close to it, I'm here. If you need somebody to weep with and mourn with, Dan and I are here. And there's all of these brothers and sisters to weep with you and mourn with you. Because there is this one thing we have in this world as Christians that is an advantage to being outside of the faith, is that we have each other. And we will weep with and mourn with and suffer with and that you don't have to do this broken and sinful and painful, chaotic world alone. Our text this morning is right there at the beginning of the Bible, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1. Here we have, I find it to be an incredibly interesting text, <laughs> and hopefully... It gives us a sense of, um, gives us a place in which we can place that conversation now. Because God in the beginning, as he makes all things, as he creates all things, he finishes by creating the pinnacle of creation, that is humanity. And he, and he puts humanity in a position to be stewards over all of creation. Now, when sin happened, creation goes into chaos, right? Sin enters the world. That's when we get this reality of death and that the world fights against us and that there's, there's war and rumors of war and famine. All of these things become a reality at sin. But even before that, all of creation has been given to mankind to steward. That doesn't go away when sin enters the world. It means our job of stewardship's a lot harder. I mean, really a lot harder. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in our series on stewardship, the introduction to the series on stewardship. So this is Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our text this morning is really the only place you can, you can jump off from to start a sermon series on stewardship. And here's the thing. <laughs> we don't do a lot of sermons or sermon series in, in this congregation on money and giving. And it's not because the Bible doesn't say much about it. We're going to find out over the next several weeks. The Bible talks a lot about money and giving. I'm careful with it as, as a sermon series because there is sort of a sense out there uh, in the non-Christian world, I, I did a little bit of research for this sermon, that in the top five or six of all criticisms by non-Christians, non-believers of churches, there's always money listed, right? Churches focus too much on money, or they're not transparent enough with what they're doing with money, or are these all this extravagance and this money that could be used in better ways and all these sorts of things. So as, as a means to, to combat that a little bit, we, we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. And also, I have this, this absolute belief that that stewardship follows faithfulness. That, that giving doesn't, isn't, isn't the place to start. It's not as though if, if you preach enough about offering and giving and tithing and these things, people will do so and then become more faithful. I truly believe it works the opposite direction. That when you preach to people and when a body of believers is faithful and as they grow in their faithfulness, what happens is stewardship naturally follows. So, and, and by the way, we've seen this, right? The, the congregation here has been generous in so many ways. It's, it, 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 we are a shining star amongst congregations in, in Des Moines area, in Iowa, and really across the country in, in terms of setting budgets, having our, our offerings meet those budgets. But that's, that's still just one tiny facet of stewardship, if you're really going to talk about stewardship, you, you can't just talk about money. M money is, is such a secondary, tertiary issue when it comes to stewardship that I don't find it even useful and helpful to preach really about being good givers. I don't even like that phrase, good givers. What we want to be are, are faithful followers, well, we want to be our, our disciples of Christ, and that's just a fruit that, that comes from it. And I believe we've seen that in this congregation. Maybe it's been a, I don't know, an experiment <laughs> or something, but that, that's what's happened over the years. This is maybe the third in 14 years sermon series I've done on stewardship. And, and this congregation has been generous and faithful stewards of, of all of the resources God has given. So I think it has already worked. Why are we doing stewardship now? Because it's also useful to understand it. So you're not going to hear me preach about giving more. We actually don't need you to. 
I'll just be honest. What you're going to see at State of the Church next week is, yet again, this congregation without prompting, pushing, and encouraging, and, and begging, and pleading has been generous in, in their giving, and generous in all areas of stewardship. I'm not here to tell you, hey guys, we're getting behind, we got to give more. That's not at all what this is. <laughs> Trust me, when you see the numbers next week, you'll go, huh, okay, pretty cool. But it's helpful to kind of know why. What is this about? And so stewardship is, is a, a, the series on stewardship, what he says about stewardship This whole sermon series is to help you understand the significance of it in your life. And money might be the smallest part of that significant component stewardship has in your life. So what we're actually going to start with is letting you all know that's not yours. (laughs) That's not yours. And the, the list of things that aren't really yours is exhaustive. To be perfectly honest, the, the text this morning should be enough to let us know that nothing that is, is truly ours, because God is the one who made it. And, and this shouldn't even sound crazy, like it's this, some crazy Christian thing to say that God made everything and, and therefore everything belongs to him. If you were a non-believer, complete atheist, believe that God doesn't exist, Right? you would still have to come to the conclusion that we kind of found the planet, (laughs) right? Nobody thinks that people made the earth. Nobody believes that there wasn't an earth and then one day somebody, some human who wasn't on earth because it didn't exist, decided to make earth. No, we we found it. And then we found certain things about the earth and, and the resources that we could use to better our, our living conditions. And, and that's how all things, commerce and, and possessions and all of that really come about, right? It's, it's, it's not as though we made something and now that it is ours. At best, we can say we have stuff that we have taken out of the ground or, or a, 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 arrived at owning somehow and improved on it, and now it's a little bit better. But we didn't start with it. <laughs> the point is, all things belong to God. I'm actually going to go to um, a, a different text, Psalm 24. Put that up on the screen. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Simply put, Psalm 24, if you want to know where to go when it comes to stewardship, we start there. It's God's stuff. All of it is God's stuff. And it's very simple and easy for people to get under the impression, to arrive at the conclusion that some of this stuff is not God's and that it's ours. A quick list. (laughs) These are some of the topics we're going to be covering. It's kind of in reverse order in this sermon series. First, uh, natural abilities. I have the natural ability to X, Y, Z. Do you? If you have a natural ability, where did it come from? Nature? (laughs) Did the trees in the forest give it to you? Or did God give you a natural talent and ability? The one that always strikes me is is professional athletes. 
who have a sense of boasting about how amazing they are. And you go, well, yes, but. <laughs> but you didn't really earn being seven foot tall. Like you didn't work at that, right? That's, that's the genetic lottery. And then I, I've been saying this for years and years and years, and then we're living it in my house. Because if anybody has won the genetic lottery, there's this kid up front, right? The, uh, the odds of six foot three happening in my and my wife's family is pretty low, right? We didn't stretch him. Like, in case anybody was wondering, don't call Child Protective Services. We didn't hang him upside down and put weights on him or something. Like, we didn't, it's just, I don't know. I, don't know. I know we didn't earn it. I know we didn't work hard at being tall. It, it just happened. So you don't, you, you don't own that and take it like it's, like it's mine. But even like intellectual property, we have this whole area of law, intellectual property, we have patents and we say, that's mine. I created that. Well, when you, when you look at anything that's created, imagine like a patent for the very first cell phone. Well, that's really cool. You, you thought of some new things. You know, you know what that person with the, the patent for the first cell phone didn't invent? Electricity, batteries, Right? All sort plastics, all sorts of things that, that had to go into this phone. They, they had to put that on top of all of this other understanding and knowledge and in innovation and invention. All of, they stand on the shoulders of all of those who go before them. Any PhD paper that's any, ever been written, what's happened is they've looked at this huge body of academia, learned a bunch, and then maybe took a step, but they wouldn't have been able to do that without all of this academic endeavors, right? So there's nothing that is actually 100% ours that we've invented or created. There's always something before. There's always something ahead of us that, that we can't take credit for. And we have <laughs> our lives, in general, our, our children, our own, our own lives. I, I didn't choose to be born. I didn't work that out ahead of time, right? I, I didn't put down on a questionnaire, I'd like to be born in Minnesota, middle-class parents, blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't get to fill that out. I can't really take credit for my own life, much less the lives of my children. We we decided to try and have kids, but that's really up to the Lord. And those children, how they're born and, and their own makeups and being six foot three out of nowhere, all of that really is decided by God. Our time, we think of this all the time, right? Uh, my time. I'm very careful with my time. Well, at any moment, God could call you home. And it's really his timeline, not yours. And what you're doing with your time, even the options that you have of the things to do with your time, those opportunities and options, those come from God. So you say, I'm, I'd like to spend my time traveling and, and going on vacations. Well, well, how are you able to do that? You wouldn't be if you were in a different country, in different living condition, different socioeconomic position. All of those things, really, your op opportunities and options of your time Let's come from God. And then, of course, we're going to talk about money. The whole idea of money is kind of interesting. We have something that we all value and trade it for something else. 
used to be the gold standard, right? We got rid of that. I think it was Nixon who got rid of that. We have the gold standard, but where did gold come from? It used to be that the, the $1 bill would be representative of a dollar of gold in some building somewhere. But where did the gold come from? No person put it in the ground, right? It came from God. And the idea that something has value and can be traded, all of that. All of these things that we think, and those are the ones I think primarily we really assume belong to us, right? Why do we assume that they're ours? It's because there's something inside of us and it's, and it's tied to how we are created. There's something inside of us that wants something greater, something deeper, something more significant. It's a little cliche to say it this way, but there you go. It's, we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, right? We want to believe that there's more to this world than just stuff that basically we're renting until we're dead. Because that's the ultimate signal that we don't actually own anything. Because you don't own anything when you're dead. It all goes to somebody else. So those things all together are working to fulfill this longing in most people's lives. Probably yours at some point. At many, maybe right now, one of those in your life is, is something that seems very important to you because of your longing to have it and own it and for it to be yours. But it's not. That's not yours. So what does that mean? It means that we are all middle and upper managers. The next point in the sermon. We're all middle and upper managers, meaning if we don't create something and if, if we don't own something, if, if really all we're doing is improving on things and holding on to things for an intermittent amount of time, well, then we're managing it while it exists. This is really important, in, in my opinion, for a Christian to understand that all of the things that, that are in your world, right, you don't own them, but they are put under your purview, as the text says this morning, dominion. You have been made a steward of the things. The world would say they're yours. It's your money and your bank account. It's, it's your vehicle, your home, your kids, all of these things. But you got to know they're not really mine, but rather they belong to God and he's entrusted them to me to be what? A steward. Now I said earlier, it's really interesting that God did this before sin. Because when we think of being a good steward of something, we're always thinking how to combat the bad thing, how, how to circumvent sin. How do I keep my kid from growing up to be the bad person? Right? How do I keep my children safe? How do I raise my kids in a certain way? And it's all counter sin. But before sin fell in the world, what is the job of Adam and Eve? There's no death. So to have dominion over all of the animals isn't to make sure that they're healthy because they're not going to get sick. It isn't to make sure that they don't um, break a leg or they die somehow because they're not going to die. They're, they're simply stewards of something that isn't going to go wrong. And, and this, is, this is a brilliant um, 
observation in the text, not my brilliant observation, it's brilliantly put in the text that God didn't say, everything is good, you don't got to do nothing, and then sin entered the world, and he goes, well, now you do. No, he started by saying, you're responsible for all of these things. It is under your purview, your responsibility, your stewardship of all things. And when it goes bad, it's our fault. As, as Dan said, Adam and Eve falling into sin, <laughs> right? It's humanity's fault that now we actually have to do something about it. Now we actually have to care for. Now we actually have to consider sin and how things can go bad. And that's really what upper and middle management does, <laughs> right? We're here as upper middle management to make sure that those things in, in our world of responsibility do what they're supposed to do, and when they're not, we correct that. Even leadership, right? As, as, as a leader of this congregation, I can tell you with elders and, and council and, and everybody on staff, we all see this as your church, right? The collective your church. But we've been asked to do a lot of things to steward this place, and, and to do everything that we can to plan for, to circumvent sin, to, to put up safeguards, and to move the congregation forward. So even when I say leadership of this congregation, that's still upper-level management because this church belongs to you, but then ultimately, this church belongs to God. So as upper and middle managers, <laughs> how are we then to live what does this mean for us? The first thing I want you to have in your mind for the rest of this sermon series is to change the way you think about the stuff in your life. You might be thinking, how do I better manage my time for God? Nope. How are you going to manage God's time? What about my kids? How do I raise my children faithfully? Well, let's start with reminding you that they're God's kids and change that sentence to how do I raise God's children faithfully? Or what about my own life? What am I doing with my life, with my career, with my, my vocation as husband or father, spouse, parent, worker, co-worker, boss, employee, all those things? How are you managing God's employee or boss or husband or wife? Because it all belongs to him. Just that shift of mindset changes the way in which we behave and act on a day-to-day -day basis. Because if, if you don't have that in your mind, then every decision you make, every, every way in which you interact with people or things that, that are yours in life is selfishly focused towards yourself. What am I going to do with my time to best please and serve me? What am I going to do raising my kids so that someday I can be proud of them? It's about me still. That sounds really nice, right? But it's still wrong. You can be proud of God's kids that you have stewarded to a faithful, wonderful place in life, 
that God has called them to. You, you don't need to not be proud of your kids or not take joy in, in the resources God has given you or, or not um, be conscientious of, your, of the time God has given you, God's time, right? These are, if you just have it in your mind that it all belongs to God, then you're in the right place instead of being selfish because that selfishness, all it does is slowly corrode your heart and your mind and you, you lose the thing you're looking for. This is so common when it comes to sin, is you chase after the right thing, but doing it in a sinful, selfish way, you lose the thing you're chasing. At the beginning of this sermon, I said, the reason why we have this natural inclination to think of things as ours and my, my time, my kids, my money, my job, my wife, all of these things as mine, 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 is because we're looking to be part of a bigger thing. We're looking for significance. We're looking for joy that is outside and very different from happiness, which is circumstantial. We're looking for something bigger, which is why stewardship is such a blessing. Stewardship is a blessing because it's God giving to us that significance. It's God allowing us to have that bigger purpose. He didn't have to do that. God didn't have to, before the sin, when all things are created, he didn't have to say to Adam and Eve, you are stewards, you are now, um, of, have dominion over all things, you are in charge and responsible for all things. God didn't have to do that. It's not as though he created the universe and all things, and then he said, oh boy, <laughs> I think I bit off more than I can chew with this one. I'm going to need help with this, Right? It's not as though God thought that, that I had created all of this and now I need help with it. That's, that's not what happened. Instead, God chose to invite us into his plan of not just redemption, not just salvation, but rather he invited us into the plan of stewardship of creation. The last part of our sermon today is, is part of our text this morning. Let's get that up on the screen. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, pay attention. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Leave this on the screen for just a minute. When we talk about this image of God, we like to use the Latin, imagio dei. Why do we do that? It just means image of God. But it's, when you use Latin, sometimes you make it bigger than the English, and it's helpful. Because it's not like we look like him, right? It's not like we got the same eyes, Right? It's, that's not what this means. It means a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is that when it comes to creation, in a muted, less, smaller way, we participate with that creation. This is why we call having children, not creation of kids, procreation. It's right there, procreation. 
It's not as though we make kids out of nothing, right? But it's not as though we do it without God. He gives to us small, beautiful, unique ways to be like him. And one of those ways is to steward the creation. A real-world example of this and of why it's such a blessing and such a joy is if you're going to go and cook and you got little kids. The best is probably omelets or scrambled eggs, right? Because what do they do? They want, come on, can I help? Can I help? Can I help with the eggs this morning, Dad? This is a no-brainer. If it's like souffle, no, right? Or if it's something complicated, but eggs, because, I mean, the point is to break the eggs. There's no accidental break. You break the eggs, right? How much joy is there when your kid gets to sit next to you and break the egg and feel like they're a part of something bigger? They're part of something important, Stewardship isn't a command because you won't do it unless God tells you to. Stewardship isn't about getting it together. Come on now, we got a lot to do. We need you to blah, blah, blah. That's not what stewardship is. Stewardship is this invitation. You get to break eggs with mom or dad and make breakfast, and then you get to sit at the table and you go, I helped with breakfast this morning. God doesn't need your money to make sure the church works. God doesn't need your time to manifest his kingdom on earth. God doesn't need you. You're not helping him out. When we are good stewards, we are answering the invitation to simply say, I got to be a part of this. How awesome is this that I get to be a part of this? I just did this little thing. I wasn't actually very good at it, but I did it. And look how amazing it is. This is the, the spirit that we tried to set at the beginning of our capital campaign with the ELC and, and everything else. That I'm not saying we need you to give, we gotta give. I said, I want you to be able to feel like you're a part of this. And, and I made the commitment, nobody's taken me up on it yet, but I, I'll remake the commitment if truly you can't fit any giving towards the capital campaign, towards the ELC, towards, towards this renovation of the sanctuary and the expansion, let me know and I'll make a personal contribution on your part. It might be like 10 bucks, right? But then you can say, I was part of that. I think it would be sad if you were sitting to the side and you had to think in your mind they were a part of that. Look what they did. One dollar. And it's not like a, a, a political thing. Go one chip in, one dollar. Every dollar helps. I don't need your dollar. We don't need a dollar for the renovations. I want you to answer the invitation because I know what it means for your heart. To be able to say, I mean, in, in the current sort of diminished space that we have over the years, over a thousand kids, hundreds of families have heard about Jesus. Those kids, as, as we've learned this last week, were entrusted to us to be good stewards of them, to keep them safe physically, but also emotionally and spiritually it is such a blessing that I'm a part of that, but I don't teach in the classrooms. I don't spend time doing any of that. I am this small part. Once a month, I lead chapel. 
And I say hi to the kids when they're walking in, and I, and I see them, and it's fun, right? I get to be part of it. It's a little bit. It doesn't cost, it doesn't cost me any of my time. It's God's time, right? That's what stewardship is about. It's a blessing to you to be able to, to know that through you, with, with the time God has given to you, with the abilities and talents he's given to you, with the resources that he's given to you, with, with all of those things that he's given to you, he says, come on, sit next to me, crack a few eggs. Come on, it'll be fun. It'll be nice. You'll be able to say I'm part of his kingdom and in this work that we're doing here. And it's just cracking eggs. I know it's small. You're not at that point yet where you're, you're doing the complicated stuff. Maybe you don't have the resources, but that's not what it's about. It's not about who gives most of, of their money or their time or their, anything like that. It's, it's not that. It is, would you like to be part of it? Because it's really awesome. And it's, it's a blessing to do so. And I know this sermon's a little bit long, but it's the first in this series, and I need you to know that when we talk about these things, you should not feel even the smallest sense of, oh, I'm not doing enough for the church. I'm not doing enough. No, don't. Seriously. I, I, I hope you hear that in, in my voice and in, in what we do here. I just want you to be part of the amazing thing that I get to be a part of and, and all of you get to be a part of because God has invited us. So keep that in your mind and, and that spirit as we go on to talk about how do we best steward God's money, God's time, the, the lives that he blesses us with, our talents and our abilities, all of those things that belong to God. How are we stewarding those in a way where we get to participate in the timeline, the history, the narrative of God doing amazing things on earth? to bring us to salvation. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, today we come before you knowing that you give all things. We are the receiver of the good gifts. Every last thing that we have in our possession is given to us by you. I pray, Lord, that you would reorient our minds to be stewards of those things, to use them wisely and well to glorify your name here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.